Genesis is the easiest book to find in the entire Bible because it's the very first one. And so if you just open up your cover, go past the table of contents, maybe there's some editor's notes in there, and then you'll find the book of Genesis. Last week we started a series uh, in Genesis. Uh, eventually there's going to be four series that make up the entire book uh, for now through the next uh, 10 weeks or so. We're going to be looking specifically at chapters 1 through 11. We'll take a little break. We'll go through 12 through 24, 25 or so. Take a break. Go then through the Isaac and Jacob stories and then take a break and then go through uh, the Joseph narrative. And so uh, I'm excited uh, to bring this to you. I think Genesis is a great book. In fact, Genesis 1 through 11, the very series that we're in right now, many scholars have said that you can form an entire systematic theology based on the first 11 chapters of um, of Genesis, because there's just so much going on here. And so uh, let's start with Genesis 1.1. We're going to go through chapter 2, verse 3. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 4, through the end of chapter 2. Uh, but if you do have your Bibles with you, uh, follow along with me as I read in uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which there is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw uh, that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two Two great lights, the greater to rule the day, and the lesser to rule the night, and the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning the fourth day, and God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures. And every living creature that moves uh, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, 
And every tree with its seed, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good, all right. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God had rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. God, you are a creator God, you are a powerful God, and so this morning would you help our, uh, our anxious hearts to find our rest in you and you alone through your word, for your glory and our good. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Well, reading the, new, uh, reading the news can really be a uh, depressing activity. Uh, it was a lesson that I learned again this week as I decided to peruse uh, the news headlines. And I didn't even need to read the articles to understand some of the things that were going on in the world. Uh, just some of the examples of the headlines that I saw were these. The Taliban calls off peace with the U.S. German AFD lawmaker severely injured in Bremen street attack. Five teen girls die in fire after being trapped in escape room. How terrifying would that be? Seven dead in shooting at Mexican bar Playa del Carmen. Man arrested after 20 children injured in Chinese primary school attack. Seven die in massive Alps snowfall from Germany to Italy. An oil tanker explodes and burns off Hong Kong's coast. You know, those are just sort of the world headlines. And if you look at the national headlines, we have now entered into the longest government shutdown in United States history and stalemate over budgetary issues. Uh, Just the other day, Julie and I got the news of this sweet lady that we knew when we were in Nebraska who had just lost her husband at Thanksgiving was brutally attacked by her own son on New Year's Eve. And we all have seen the news in the last couple of days about um, uh, the girl that was uh, rescued after being kidnapped. And it's great news that she was brought home, but it shouldn't have to happen. Those sorts of things are not things that should be. And even in our own uh, community, it seems like every election shows the division that our community has that lays dormant until the announcement of some sort of election that is going to uh, be coming up. And if it was left there in the headlines, it might be more bearable or palatable because it seems like it's everything that's out, out there and not uh, maybe not in our homes. However, though it might not make the paper, you and I and many of us are dealing with our own personal headlines today. Many of us are dealing with uh, relationships that are strained, marriages that may be on the rocks, jobs that are unstable, investments that, that are, are seeming to be uh, continuing to slide further and further down rather than up, addictions of various kinds, uh, past and, and current hurts that we're struggling through. Some of us are struggling with with major fear issues today, anxiety or depression, isolation. Really, the, the, the list is completely endless with the various headlines that are in our own lives. We're inundated so much with this kind of stuff in life that we are easily led to ask the question, is this all there is? Is it true then that life sucks and then you die? Is that true? Was I made for more than this? You know, we're not the first people to ask that question. The Hebrews, who Genesis was addressed to, had these questions long before we did. Here was a group of people who had just escaped slavery from Egypt. They were wandering around in the desert with not much to eat, not much to, uh, uh, to drink. 
being led by a man who claimed that he was being led by this God. They didn't know Yahweh. And for it had been 430 years since anyone in Egypt had represented this God. And the Hebrew people were accustomed to more of the God of the Egyptians, the sun God and the moon God and the God of the stars, the earth and the sea, God of, of vegetation, that seemed, these gods seemed like they were everywhere. And, and the further and further that the Israelites got away from Egypt, the more it seemed like these particular gods were cursing them. The sun god is scorching them by day. And the moon god is making them freeze as they sleep in their tents during the night. The god of vegetation was cursing them because they had no food. This was their mindset. And they're trying to trust in this god that they don't know much about. They're anxious. They're, they're fearful. Maybe they are even terrified. But whether it's the Hebrews wandering in a desert, or whether it's in your own kitchen as you wait by the phone for the news from the doctor on the test results that you uh, have been anxiously waiting for, or whether it is uh, whatever it is in life, you're, you're, the burden of unemployment falling on you, the relationships crumbling around you, Genesis chapter 1 is written to comfort God's fearful people with the knowledge that God is the sovereign creator of the entire universe and that he holds their lives in his sovereign hand. Genesis chapter 1 presents the creation narrative in order to answer those deep questions that inevitably you and I always have. There is more to life than what we see around us. You were made with a purpose. You are here for a reason. When it comes to the problems in life, Genesis chapter 1 gives us four big ways in which we ought to see and find God as our ultimate everything. And the first thing is, is that we need to find our purpose in God. Find your purpose in God. You know, one of my passions in life uh, is, is reading. I absolutely love reading, and I don't care what kind of genre it is. I don't care if it's a biography and drinking deeply from the lives of others, whether it's a fairy tale, whether it's a, hist- a history, uh, historic history book, uh, or whether it is historical fiction. It doesn't really matter to me. I just absolutely love reading. And one of the, uh, um, one of the things that I love most about it is that I just love a good story. And if you've ever read a good story, you know that it's been good because it has hooked you from the very first words of the book and has led you all the way through to the end. It's not very often that you read a book that has a terrible beginning that you actually stick through and then find out that it actually turns out really good. The book of Genesis is one of those kind of books. It captivates you from the very first verse. And it's unlike any story that you've ever read. It is literal history, but it doesn't begin like a fairy tale. Genesis 1-1 doesn't say once upon a time. God did this. In fact, it doesn't even begin with time. It began before time even existed. When God, uh, when Genesis opens, there was absolutely nothing. Now, you and I don't even have language by which we can express what nothing is. We don't have mental faculties to understand the nothingness of nothing. I mean, I could ask you to close your eyes and pretend to think of nothing, and if you do so, you'll probably just see darkness or, you know, red, however, whatever you see when you close your eyes, but the concept you were seeing there is just empty space, and empty space is something. R.C. Sproul humorously one time said, I never understood what, uh, what creation was until my son was in junior high when I would ask him what school was like, what'd you do in school that day, and he would say, nothing. He said that creation is a lot like junior high. <laughs> You're not doing anything. 
So there was only nothing here. And it was during this time, quote-unquote, that verse 1 tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, which is an expression that tells us that he didn't just create earth, but he created everything that, uh, uh, that uh, it, it, it implies. The earth and the skies, it's this polarity that describes everything and all things, heaven and earth and everything in between. It's in verse 1 here that we, that we see God's self-sufficiency. There is nothing that he needs in order to be who he is and what he does. In the beginning, God. God alone. God didn't need food. He didn't need water. He didn't need sleep. He didn't need brick and mortar. It was just him. And because there were absolutely nothing, there was absolutely nothing, uh, theologians say that he created everything Ex nihilo, which is a word that means out of absolutely nothing. Scientists try to explain uh, the origin of our universe in many different ways, and one of the ways they do it is through the Big Bang Theory, and they said everything came from this Big Bang, and all of a sudden we have order and round planets and all this kind of stuff. But if you're going to take that sort of viewpoint, you necessarily have to believe that something existed in order to, uh, you know, uh, blow up and become what we have. And here, in Genesis, uh, it says that God created everything out of nothing. Nothing. And so, uh, we see in verse 1 a summary of statements of all of his creative activities as described through 1 through 6. And now in verse 3, we see the pattern of God creating uh, his mighty using his mighty power to create. So how is it that God cre- can create something out of nothing? By speaking. Verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26, 28, and 29 show God creating simply by ex- exclaiming, let there be whatever. The text says, and God said, and then it would follow up that statement, and it was so. It is the power and purity of God's word that brings all of these things into existence. It is his speaking of words that the sun and the moon and the stars and and the planets came into being. It is by the power of his voice by which we have earth and trees and plants and dogs and people and cats and, and bunnies and mosquitoes for reasons I don't understand, but he still created them. It is by his creativity that this, of his word, that we have eyes for seeing, that we have tongues for for tasting, skin for, for feeling, teeth for chewing. You have cells for fighting diseases. This is marvelous what God did. And I guess you could say that there was a big bang. I mean, I guess God said, let there be light, and boom, all of a sudden everything exists. But that's not how it's typically explained. So upon reading this, fearful Israel would be thinking about the violent gods that would have been against them. As they're walking through uh, the wilderness, they are facing what they believe are geographical gods who occupy these territories. They don't know what god they might encounter next. And they were facing armies that were far more numerous and had far better weapons than they could ever uh, think of. And yet when they read this, they see that there is this god who led them out of Egypt. He's not some territorial God. He is a global God who made everything, including them. And if he created all of it, even those things that are against them, then those things are necessarily subservient to him. If he created it, if he has that sort of power, then He has authority, and he has sovereignty over it. You know, when I was little, one of the first songs that I remember uh, learning in the school that I went to, I went to a Catholic school through third grade, but one of the first songs that I remember singing was, He's got the whole world in his hands. You know that song. 
But have you thought about the implications of what such a simple song with simple words has? It is a song about God's care and about God's control. It is a song that is meant for our hearts to be compelled towards God who holds everything in our lives in his very hands. And when we read this text, we come to it with a lot of different burdens on our hearts, whatever it is that we're dealing with it. And instead of reading Genesis as if it is a scientific textbook on the origins of the universe by which we try to dispel the arguments of atheists, we can come and read of a God who is, yes, the creator of everything that we see and that's good and that's glorious, but who more so upholds the creation by his mighty hand. And because he is in control, we can go to him with these things that plague our lives, plague our hearts with trust that not only does he care, not only does he have sovereignty over them, but he's got purpose in whatever it is that we are facing. Your life, this world, even though it's flawed by sin, finds its ultimate purpose in this great creator God. And looking further into that purpose, we can see that our lives are not just uh, purposeful in God as a generality, but our lives find our ultimate purpose in Christ Jesus. John says of Jesus in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The word there describing Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Paul echoes that by saying, For there is one God, the Father, from whom all things exist, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. How cool is that? Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 uh, through 17. By him, being Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before him, all things, and in him all things hold together. Putting all this together, it is saying everything that exists was created for the glory of Jesus Christ. You want to know what your purpose is? That is it right there. To bring Jesus Christ glory. He made us. We owe him. Our existence and our allegiance must be with him. He purchased us with his blood. And if it is true that all of this life, whether it be the trials or even the triumphs, if they're for him, then we can assume that if he is leading us into it, that whatever we go through is for our good and for his glory and for his purposes, whatever they may be. So because all things are for him, through him, and to him, we need to trust that he is powerfully in control and that we need him to find our purpose. Second, we need to find our order in God. Find your order in God. Though verse 1 describes the entirety of God's creation, verse 2 picks up on that point uh, in which God laid the foundations for everything. This is what it says. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So in, in Hebrew, there's sort of a, a word play going on here where we see without form and void. The Hebrew uses this really cool two, uh, two words, tohu wobohu. And it basically means uh, absolute nothingness. It's a wasteland with no viable source of life. It describes a deep darkness. It is an image of a dark, deep ocean in which nothing can grow into fruition. And essentially what 
Tohu Wabohu is saying is absolute chaos. But we know from further revelation that in God's word, that God is not a God of chaos. Check out what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us. That God is not a God of confusion. And some translations actually use the word disorder. But he's a God of peace. Isaiah 45, 18 testifies that God didn't create the world for chaos, but in his very character, he brings order out of chaos. We see this all over Scripture. In, in Isaiah chapter 61, he comforts those who mourn. He, he makes uh, beauty out of ashes. He turns despair into garments of praise. God is the one who turns chaos into something beautiful. In verse 2, he takes creation, which is all formless and void, uh, and it's as if God is this artist who is preparing his canvas for a masterwork. How many of you ever watched Bob Ross on PBS before? He's oiling that painting, getting ready for it to make this, this great masterpiece in which his spirit is hovering over the chaos as a mother bird is hovering over over her young birds, helping them learn how to fly. And then we see God in action. And how does he create order? Not by speaking this time, but by separating things. In verses 3 through 5, he creates light and he separates it from darkness. In verses 6 through 8, he separates the sky from the waters that are below. Verses 9 through 10, he separates the land from the waters And this separation is something that God would continue to do with humanity. He would separate a people from himself. Those who are for him, those who are not for him. Jesus talks about separating the sheep from the goats. He'd separate certain individuals by which his purposes would be filled. God is a separator God, which the Bible often calls election for the sake of purity. And here in these verses, as God is giving the shape of it as we know it, and he's doing it by creating order. The chaos is now gone. And now that this chaos is dispelled, uh, verses 11 through 13 shows us uh, the transitioning from formless and void to uh, formed and full. By describing the creation of trees and grass and vegetation. He is systematically destroying the concept of the gods that Israel feared so much. The creation account of Genesis 1 attacks the pagan gods of the nations and declares them not as subservient to God, Yahweh, but not as gods at all, that they don't even exist. The chaos of fear from the myths of these gods is intended to bring hope and truth to Israel. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like life, your life, is in a bit of chaos. Things around you seem to be spinning out of control. You're sort of like that guy trying to spin dishes on on sticks and you have to keep going back and forth to one or the other and you can't keep up. You're scared and you don't know where to turn. You feel like you're walking in the dark and you keep running into things and you keep getting hurt. You're scared of what might be and you're worried about what things are to come. Let me suggest to you that the God who ordered the chaos at creation is still ordering chaos today. Just as the Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos of the waters of creation, so the Spirit of God doesn't just hover over you, but He lives in you through faith in Jesus Christ and is working on your behalf. The very first thing that He did to order chaos was to bring light into a dark dark place. He sees the darkness and He dispels it. When we live in the darkness of sin or guilt or shame we come, and we come to Jesus Christ knowing that his life, death, and resurrection was efficient to remove all of our moral stains, 
Then he says, let there be light in our dark and weary souls. And suddenly, life has purpose. Life has meaning. Jesus said in in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And as uh, the light of the world, the one whom all things were created through, it is this Jesus that brings order into our chaotic lives. So if your life seems to be spinning out of control and it seems like there's absolutely no hope or no help available, there is hope and there is help in Jesus Christ. The same power that hung and numbered all the stars that we see on clear nights also hung on a cross for our sins, for our failures, for our sicknesses, for our griefs, for our sorrows, for all of our issues. And he acts on our behalf when we come to him in faith. He will turn your night into day with a word from his mouth. He will reorder your broken world with a word. He will bring a form of our chaos with a word. And it's through the cross of Christ that your life can be changed and can be made absolutely new again. God can take your story, which seems chaotic and broken, and he can use it for his glory and continue writing new and glorious chapters in your life. There is hope for me and you. There is. There is this creative power in Jesus that wants to recreate your life in the midnight of your soul, in the waiting, in the person uh, of Jesus, there is hope. This is our God, friends. This is Yahweh. He gives form. He reorders, and he will do it if you trust in him. And third, we need to find our fulfillment in him. Find your fulfillment in God. If there's ever something to be said about holes, and I don't know how much thinking you do about holes, but holes have a way of being filled, don't they? And rather quickly. See, there's going to be an awful lot of potholes out there with the weather shifting uh, back and forth. Those holes don't stay empty very often, whether it's ice or whether it's dirt or whether it's um, you know, pieces of your tire, if it's uh, deep enough. Holes have a way of being filled. And in the first three periods that God took to form the earth, it was never his intention to leave it empty. So starting in verse 14, we read of the account of God filling the earth. And if you pay close attention uh, to the the words here, uh, you'll see that these time periods labeled as days have a sort of uh, correspondence to each other. In what we think of as day four in verses 14 through 19, God is filling what he left empty in day one. The sky and the universe. In day one, it was the Lord God who seemingly illuminated the the heavens. And then in day four, the sun and the the moon and the stars show up. And notice he doesn't use the word sun and moon. It's just implied. My hunch is he doesn't use those words because of the pagan worship that they came from to say sun and moon would have evoked idolatry in their minds. But in day 5, verses 20 through 23 corresponds with day 2. You can see I have, that, I have that chart up there. That God fills the sky with birds and seas and with fish and whales and, and all sorts of, of creatures. And again, he was hitting home the point that what they thought were gods were nothing at all. In the beginning part of day six is corresponding with day three. I know this is really academic, but we're getting to the point here. When God separated the land from the water, he he creates these animals to fill the earth. He provides food for these animals in verse 30. And he's doing all this filling, all of this completion, not for a home that is fit for himself, 
but rather he is creating the perfect environment for the pinnacle of his creation, human beings. You and me. Look in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, many commentators will look at the fact that he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and they'll see sort of a Trinitarian formula as if God, is, you know, God the Father is conversing with God the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. That's not my first reaction that I would go to. That's not wrong. I think you, you certainly could go there here, but I don't think that's what was in Moses' mind when he was writing it. Rather, how many times have you, when you're talking to yourself, ever referred to yourself in the, third pers- or in the first person plural? Um, some of you are shaking your head. Some of you think I'm crazy, which in that case, I've never done it before. But... Um, we do that all the time. Well, let's see, let, let's see what we have over here. Let's do this over here. That is just sort of a natural thing. And I think that's what is implied, uh, implied here. And so he creates humans in his image, and he places them in this garden, this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. Uh, and he's, he, he richly provides everything that he's created. And as image bearers, he is saying that our point is to represent God's rule and his reign here on earth. God is a God who fills emptiness. It is these last three periods of creation that God looks at all of it. And in verse 31, we read it together. Remember, it was, it is very good. In these early accounts of creation, God creates the universe. He fills the universe. And the apex of his creation is meant to be satisfied in him and him alone. But it doesn't last that long in just two chapters, which we'll get to here uh, not next week, but the week after. We'll find that Adam and Eve, the first humans, decide that God, man, God's not enough. And so they uh, decide that to oh, disobey his clear words And the result is that in their hearts, they end up, like verse 2, empty, formless, and void. And that's the way it's been ever since. We're all now born spiritually bankrupt with empty hearts and empty souls, always searching. And as I say before, holes don't stay empty for very long. We'll find ways to fill it, whether it would be filled up with, with money or sex or booze or, or work or relationships or having stuff or comfort or knowledge. Uh, whatever it is, we want to fill this gap with something that we think will satisfy. But isn't it true that every time you naturally gravitate towards something that you think is going to satisfy, it's never enough? You get your fill, and you get that buzz, and then all of a sudden, you know what? I need it again. But you know what? The next time doesn't fulfill. So you need more, and you need more, and you need more, and it just continues that cycle. Ecclesiastes 1.8 uh, says that the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And isn't that the truth? Where then is our hope of being eternally satisfied? It's the original filler of things. It is God. Do you feel empty today? Do you feel like you are trying to use other things to fill that emptiness that just doesn't seem to get topped off? And if it does, there's a hole in the bottom of the cup and it keeps leaking out. Do you always long for more? There is hope, there is satisfaction found alone in Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, it tells us that he is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He is the one who formed the universe. He is the one who can restore our broken lives, the one who filled the universe, and he can fill our lives as well. John chapter 10 verse 10 said that Jesus says that I have come that they would have life and that they would have life abundantly. So are you empty today and need of being filled. You can be filled in Christ and it will become yours 
simply with a word and trusting Christ's work on your behalf. And finally, fourth, we need to find our rest in God. Find your rest in God. Look with me in chapter 2 now, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his, all his work that he had done. Now, if, you're, if we're not careful here, we're going to get the impression that God is like a guy that comes home, guy or gal, I suppose, that comes home uh, from work after a long, laborious day and sits in his lazy boy and props up the feet and puts his head behind his hands and says, Woo, that was a lot of work today. Now I'm going to turn on the tube and, and just veg out for the rest of the night. It's easy to think that that is what's going on here, but the word rest here uh, really gives us more of an impression of, uh, of completion. It is as if God has worked tirelessly uh, building a kingdom for himself, and when he's done, he takes his place on a throne, and when he sits down, sitting down, by the way, in, in, in the Bible, is a reference for basically completion. So when Christ sits at the right hand of God, it is totally completed. And so here, it is this idea that uh, all of creation is praising God for his goodness and glory, that the heavens are declaring uh, the glory of God for the finished work of creation. But notice that the seventh day is unlike any other day. There's no finishing of this day. There's no there was morning and there was evening and then there was, there was morning. And that suggests that the seventh day is continuing on even today, that God is still resting from his creative work and that, uh, that creation should be praising his name. And later, God would separate that for us in what he calls the Sabbath. It's intended for a day in which we put our full focus and attention on the things of God And yes, it's a day in which we should cease from our work, but yet uh, there's a greater meaning in the Sabbath than just taking a day off. The greater meaning of the Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews uh, took this uh, to mean that true rest is not having a day off of work a week, though that is a very good God-given thing for us. Rather, true rest is knowing, get this, true rest is knowing that we, uh, that we don't have to be good enough to get into heaven. True rest is knowing that there is no amount of work that can help us to be right with God, but that the work has already been done for us in Jesus Christ. True rest is rejoicing that we don't need to be condemned for our sins because Christ was already condemned for us on the cross. True rest is that we can live confidently in whatever we face, things that are going to be okay in the end because Christ tells us that he's never going to leave us, that he's never going to forsake us, and that in the end it's going to be okay. This is why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, to, to come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can have that rest not only today, but also going forward in the future. Because look at what Revelation tells us, that in the end, when our days are done, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Have you ever thought about your death as a Christian believer in Jesus? Jesus Christ being blessed, that you are blessed in that sort of way. Blessed indeed, says the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow them. Friends, there's rest ahead of us in Christ Jesus. When you come to him, you find a Sabbath rest for your soul, the rest that he has enjoyed from creation's beginning. So brothers and sisters, fear not that your works aren't good enough for Jesus' work on your behalf provided rest for you. Will you come to him and experience that true rest? You know, about 12.30 a.m., Stephen and Emily McAlpin uh, woke up to what they thought were firecrackers outside their house. 
However, it, it quickly became apparent that uh, a headline that had made national news um, had come to uh, a head in their front yard. Earlier that day, a few bombs had gone off at the finish line of the Boston Marathon, and an intense manhunt ensued. So these fireworks that, that Stephen and Emily had heard weren't fireworks. They were rather the crossfires between FBI agents and, uh, and the suspects that they were uh, desperately trying to find. And when interviewed by the Baptist press, Stephen McElpin said this, We heard glass break. We started crawling into the kitchen of our home, me, my wife, and our dog. And as we were crawling, we saw a large flash like an explosion. We got underneath our kitchen table and continued to hear gunshots. They were much louder and felt much closer. And the Baptist press noted that the couple could hear yelling and what sounded like an explosion. I'm a grown man, stated McAlpin, but at that point I was terrified and was holding my wife there under the table. It got real for us. We realized that we could die. We prayed for God's grace to protect us and protect our neighbors and just sat there. And then from there they moved to their bathroom and huddled in the bathtub. And after about 30 minutes, uh, police came into their uh, residence and showed them what had happened. Bullets had entered their living room. In fact, there were bullets into their, into their television set, which blocked the bullets from going into their bedroom, where they had originally been uh, sleeping. Uh, another had hit a picture frame. There were a lot of shells and bullets all around the side of the house. And he said, it doesn't feel real, he reflected. You never think in your home when you're safe and trying to sleep that bullets are going to come through and explosions are going to happen. We're in shock. I haven't been able to sleep. We are absolutely exhausted. You know, you may not have gone through or may not be going something as traumatic as uh, FBI agents having a shooting duel on your front yard, but you may be here today and you are absolutely physically and spiritually exhausted and you don't know what to do anymore. If so, here are the continuing words of Stephen McAlpin, who, by the way, was a church planter in Boston at this time, that this happened. He said, we've just been trying to share about what happened and even just tell people about the kind of hope that we found in God during this really dark time. I think moving forward, we hope that we can just keep loving people here and challenging people to share in our hope. And then he went on later to tweet, thank you, Jesus, for giving us hope greater than the measly things of this world that we lost today. Folks, a perspective like that only comes from the God of Genesis. This is the God who gives you hope in the worst times of your life through Jesus Christ. And you were made for this God. Will you put your trust in Him today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come here just struggling and dealing with so many different things. Whether they're sins that we're struggling through, whether they're hurts that we have experienced and we're trying to put together the pieces and it just doesn't seem to be happening. We need you, Lord. Lord, would you put in our hearts this morning the very real sense that we need Christ, that we are created for Him. And even in our mess, God can be glorified in it. Help us today to put our trust in Christ, whether it's for the first time or renewing that or continuing that today. We entrust our souls and our lives to you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Would you stand with us as we respond to God's word?
pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask, Lord, that uh, you would help us to continue uh, to find a friend in Jesus, that in all of our trials, temptations, and triumphs, that he would be the joy of our lives and our hearts, Lord, and it's in his great name that we uh, pray this and leave from here today. Amen. Thank you all. Have a blessed afternoon. If uh, some fellows can stick around and stack chairs, that would be great. Thank you.